Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Do you like what you're hearing right now? Then be sure to check out VOC Nation. Whether it's on vocnation.com or your favorite podcast provider, VOC Nation offers the greatest in live and on-demand content, great interviews, and incredible insight from those who have lived the business. Seven days a week, vocnation.com. And don't forget to check us out on Twitter at vocnation. edition of Bumps and Thumps, the talk of wrestling. I'm Brian Ferguson. My guest today is known as the Unbreakable Bad Boy. He is known throughout the independent circuit and has been in the wrestling business since 2001. It is my pleasure to introduce the Unbreakable Bad Boy. Justin Lee. That's me, Justin today. Lee. Hey, man, we appreciate you having us on here today. I love right. the uh, background, by the way. The uh, Hulk Hogan, especially 80s Hulk Hogan, that is my guy. So, Yes, yes, that poster back there. Actually, I got that when I was like, I was showing my age here. I was a sophomore in high school, if that tells you anything. So, There you go. There you go. <laughs> I love it, man. The the vintage stuff is always my favorite stuff. You know, yeah, the, uh, yeah. And the new stuff is fine, great, but like that vintage stuff just had a feel to it, and this when you look at it, it takes you back, man. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate. It. All right, Unbreakable Bad Boy. Let's talk a little bit. Go back a little bit to growing up. You're from Oklahoma, I understand. Yep, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. Not the movie Broken Arrow with John Travolta and Christian Slater. No, 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 no. Different thing. Different thing. <laughs> no, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. Your... We're about pretty close to Tulsa. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about growing up, some, uh, your schooling, and, and how you got involved in the business. Sure. Um, you know, there's nothing super extraordinary about my upbringing. I grew up in kind of a middle-class suburb family. Uh, I was in high school during the Monday Night Wars. So, you know, when wrestling's an all-time fever pitch in the 90s, uh, I'm a bit obsessive in personality. You kind of hear that throughout the interview today. So I could just watch wrestling. I became obsessed with wrestling. I wanted to know how it worked. I started buying dirt sheets and magazines. I went up and set a ring up in my backyard or, you know, turned a trampoline into a ring. And me and my buddies would go out there. We try to figure out how they do wrestling moves. You know, this is all from the time I'm about 12 to about 16, 17. Um, yeah, but that, that's kind of just I, – I, I was during that that Monday Night War era. It captured my attention. When I was a little kid, it was all about Hulk Hogan. Uh, he was bigger than life to me. You know, we, we couldn't really afford the pay-per-views at the time. So I, when they were at the Blockbuster, I would go rent them from the Blockbuster a year later, and that was, like, new to me at the time. So, yeah, that's kind of how I grew up learning about the wrestling business. Okay. All right. So did you, uh, sports in high school, did you do any extracurricular activities? Yeah. I mean, it, so my high school was pretty small. I had a graduating class of about 30. Uh, so we didn't have a football team. Uh, we had a, a wrestling team and I did a little bit of wrestling, but we didn't really compete much. There wasn't a lot of schools that we could compete with. Uh, so I was just basically going to wrestling practice every day. 
I did some weightlifting and then my dad, he, he's a, he's a eighth degree black belt. So, you know, he was teaching me Taekwondo and I'd, I'd learned from him, uh, you know, basic karate stuff, but I did sort of always gravitate more towards the theatrical stuff. I was into theater and, and things like that. Um, more being a showman than an athlete. Okay. All right. So you're, that's kind of interesting to know. All right. So let's talk a little bit about getting into the wrestling business, Justin. How did you, who trained you? How'd you get involved or what'd you have to do? Sure. Well, like I said, I was running um, backyard wrestling in my backyard um, throughout the 90s and early, early 2000. You got to remember, people kind of forget what the early 90s and 2000s, we didn't have internet in our pocket. We didn't have a cell phone with us that had internet access ever. Um, so you still had to wait a week to find out results if the TV show didn't finish live. Uh, so again, this take you back to a time where there was still a steak about wrestling at the time. Uh, so how I got started, I'm doing this backyard wrestling thing in my backyard and I told you I get obsessive, right? So I turned my group of friends wrestling in my backyard. I made it as professional as possible. We built a ring that looked good a well-made ring. I made everybody have full-on gimmicks and characters, and I'd write run sheets. We'd film the thing. We'd turn them into VHS tapes, and we'd sell them through tape traders online. Uh, got to be a point where we were sort of a big deal. When I would announce one of these things, I would have 40 or 50 people show up to watch it. Um, wow. So much to the point that there was a local indie promotion called OPW, Oklahoma Pro Wrestling. And when they found out I was drawing 50 people to an outlaw backyard wrestling show and they knew I wanted to be a wrestler, it just made sense to them. Hey, let's bring this kid in. If he can sell 50 extra tickets with you know his people coming to watch him wrestle, we'd be stupid not to bring him in, especially at that point in the business. Early 2000s, we start going kind of on a down cycle in wrestling. You got to remember that. I mean, that's when WCW, ECW all go out of business. Um, so, you know, that trickles down to the indie wrestling scene when those companies are, are doing poorly, we're doing poorly. So when they needed more tickets sell, they, they'll look for any gimmick, you know, these carnies, these promoters, they want extra tickets sold. So, Hey, if we have to bring in the 18 year old backyard wrestling kid to get his little backyard buddies to show up, let's do it. And that's basically how I got my start. Wow. Uh, wow. I was trained by Rocco Valentino and Vinny Valentino, a.k.a. Brent Albright. Uh, Brent Albright was uh, would go on to one day be the NWA World's Champion. Uh, he was um, in WWE. Uh, he was in the first ever Triple Crown winner in OVW back when OVW was a uh, lot of big names. Yeah. Uh, Batista, CM Punk. In fact, he and CM Punk had some of the best matches that year, That so much so that that's one of the reasons Punk finally got the call up to WWE, uh, WWF at the time, because of the quality matches he and Brent Albright were having in OVW. So he was one of my trainers, and he had a very, very shoot style of wrestling to do, whereas Rocco was more of the um, – he learned from the 80s guys and the 90s guys, so it was very much that old-school style of wrestling. So I would do the beginner's class with Rocco, and then we would have an advanced class that would go later um, that was run by Brent. And Brent pulled us in there, me and my best friend at the time, uh, Kenny. Uh, we were the two backyard guys they brought in to be the backyard wrestlers uh, trying to invade the big you know, pro wrestling show. 
Um, but really, we were working harder than anybody else. We were there every night, five, six hours, uh, yeah. just getting our butts kicked till we were drenched in sweat, learning the old school style, learned the, the Brent Albright style. He had just gotten back from uh, throwing names out here. He was trained by Mike Modest out in California. Um, you know, Mike Modest was you guys might remember him from that movie Beyond the Mat. Uh, you know, he was the guy that yeah. that goes and gets the tryout and Vince is watching him on the monitor backstage. Right. So Mike Modest, UPW, uh, that's where John Cena was at back when he was the prototype. Uh, you know, he was their trainer. And he trained Brent and a lot of that stuff. Brent came back and kind of taught us some of that stuff. So I'm sort of from the Mike Modest uh, learning tree, I guess, uh, yeah. even though I've never met Mike Modest. <laughs> yeah, those early days, it was funny because Kenny and I, we were so undersized. We were backyard wrestling kids, just turned 18, just out of high school. Probably should have been finding the gym much faster, but we weren't big at all. And it pissed off a lot of the vets that we were on the show because why are you bringing these two little backyard wrestling kids in for, you know, good spots on the show? And some of the guys weren't getting booked each week. And Rocco simply explained it to them. He said, hey, look, every time I put these guys on a show, I sell at least 20 more tickets. What are you selling? You know, I don't care how good you are. If, if I'm not selling 20 more tickets, why would I keep yeah. putting you on my show? Yeah. And so it didn't make us very popular backstage. Uh, in <laughs> fact, we weren't even allowed to change in the locker room. We Our bags were thrown into the gorilla position, and we had to literally – change in the gorilla position when they would open the curtain we would have to hide each of us hide behind one of the two curtains uh that were opening up because we were not allowed in the vets locker room wow that sounds like some heat it was good. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, i guess so <laughs> all right so you started early 2000s kind of learned your craft and then i read on your on your uh, website that you retired in 2013. You just hung it up. Yeah. Why did you well, yeah. So a lot of stuff happens between 2001 and 2013, but yeah, I, um, yeah. I reached a point where it, I dedicated 10 years of my life to this thing. Um, well, at this point, we'll say nine years technically. And my best friend at the time is this guy named Max McGurk, uh, little history for you. Max McGurk's mom was Mike McGurk. You might remember Mike McGurk as mm -hmm. the lady ring announcer WWF in the early 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and her dad is Leroy McGurk. Now, Leroy McGurk was the promoter of mid-Oklahoma mid wrestling territory throughout the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Uh, Leroy and what would become Mid-South Wrestling. You know, he gave DBIC, all those guys, their, their start. Uh, basically, mm -hmm. and he was promoting Oklahoma, Louisiana, parts of Texas, Arkansas, you know, that that, that sort of area, Missouri even. Um, so there, his grandson is my best friend. He gets a tryout because, you know, connections with Jim Ross at the time. He goes to WWE, uh, and he's working out with FCW in Florida. Now, he gets me a tryout. He gets – he wises him up, says, hey, this guy's good, you know, give him a shot. WWE comes to Tulsa. I get the call. Hey, we're gonna, we want to look at you. Well, finally, 10 years in the sport, man. This is what I've been doing. This is what I've been working hard for. This is everything I've been training for. Mm -hmm. And I thought, look, if it doesn't happen now, it's probably not going to happen, right? You can only go, you know, I'm not, I, I went from an 18-year-old kid. Now I'm in my late 20s, right? Now I'm, mm -hmm. The window's closing. 
So I get there, I get to the tryout. They tell, you know, it's, it's a very surreal situation. They're coming off a two night um, thing. So everybody backstage is in a bad mood. Nobody <laughs> is smiling. Nobody is being nice to us. It is awful. They say, here, extra talent goes here. So they take us to this, essentially a, a giant closet with eight other guys are in there. Um, some Oklahoma guys, some Texas guys, some Arkansas guys, you know, just different guys. Yeah that have all come, you know, come in and everybody was told to you know, wear like a black slacks and a nice shirt just in case we need you on TV for something else. Uh, they make us go fill out some paperwork while I'm in there filling out paperwork. You know, I see guys like CM Punk and stuff, you know, pop their heads in, you know, asking about their comp tickets, things like that. The, they barely acknowledge us. You know, they look at us, they give us kind of a little head nod and walk off, you know, so it's like, oh, friendly. Uh, so we get told to wait, wait in this locker room again. We'll just keep waiting. Just wait in your closet. Finally, somebody comes and gets said, all right, you guys go out to the ring. So I brought my ring gear. Well, everybody else is in like workout gear, like shorts and a t-shirt. I'm in my tights because I'm thinking, why did you guys bring workout gear? Well, apparently I wasn't smart up. Everybody, you know, you don't wear it's. I guess it's considered bad to wear your, your ring ring gear out there. They don't want to see you in that. They want to see you working out. Oh, well. So I wore my ring gear. Uh, and uh, the guy working us out is uh, Jamie Noble. Okay. Uh, you guys might remember Jamie Noble. And, man, is he a miserable piece of crap. He hates his <laughs> life, doesn't want to be there. He doesn't want to be doing what he's doing right now. You can tell he would prefer to be on TV, wrestling, not working out a bunch of indie guys from Tulsa, you know, uh, but that's what he's sent there to do. So he's yeah. just kind of really, uh, I don't know what, if I can use the language here, half-assing it. That's <laughs> um, fine. Yeah, go he, ahead. He doesn't, he doesn't want to be there. He doesn't care. He just said, all right, you guys get warmed up. I'll be back with you. So we're just, you know, I, some of the guys who are in the trial have done tryouts for, they're like, oh yeah, yeah. We need to be in here working out guys. Uh, Vince McMahon, if he walks by and sees this ring empty, he'll actually get mad at you, saying, why am I setting up this ring? You know, why is this ring empty? You know, you guys should be using this. So we get in the ring. We're working out, and, you know, we're all trying out our stuff. And, you know, I want to see – the ring is much bigger than what I'm used to working in. So yeah. I climb up to the top rope just to kind of feel what it feels like to be up there, feel how high I'm up there. I'm up there and just do a little backflip and jump off, land on my feet. Well, unbeknownst to me – a really, really miserable, terrible human being named Batista is watching me do this, runs and goes and tattles on me. Jamie Noble comes running out and goes, which one of y'all is doing moonsaults out there? <laughs> <laughs> Technically, I didn't do a moonsault. I did a backflip. Moonsault would have implied I landed on somebody. So I didn't raise my hand, <laughs> and nobody ratted me out. So he's as mad as can be now. All right, well, you know, so they just – put us through, you know, some garbage tag team stuff and, you know, whatever. Uh, not really a chance to try next guy, next guy, next guy. Um, one of my friends is at this tryout too, uh, and he's working out with another guy, and the, that guy – they basically decide, hey, my friend who's much taller than me, they say, hey, we want to use you on TV tonight. You're going to get beat up by this new guy we got named Seamus. You're going to oh. get jobbed out to Seamus tonight. You and you and so-and-so are going to get jobbed out. And he's like, oh, great. That's great. So we keep working out, and I'm happy for my friend. He's going to be on TV tonight. So far, they haven't told me I'm going to be on TV. Well, it just so happens the guy he's working out with goes to do a move to him and 
kicks him in the nose by accident, but breaks the nose instantly. The nose is facing this way. He is gushing blood. Uh, Essentially, that WWE loads him up into an ambulance and takes him to the hospital. Now they they pay for all the repair and stuff, the surgeries, but he lost his TV shot right there. <laughs> um, in thirty <laughs> seconds of getting a spot on TV, he loses his spot on TV. Uh, I am ultimately not the replacement, so they send me back to the locker room. They say, "All right, you guys just wait back here," and they come back and they randomly choose you, you, and you. You're going to be security guards tonight, and I'm assuming because I was a little shorter than the other guys, they didn't choose me. So now I'm just sitting in a locker room by by myself, essentially. This is a terrible feeling. Yeah. And throughout this whole time, I've actually been talking to my best friend, Max, who's out there under contract in Florida. And he explained the situation. He goes, look, man, this is not good. I go, what do you mean by that? He goes, listen, I'm out here in Florida with 40 other dudes. I'm sharing an apartment with four guys, essentially. Every day, some ex-NFL or college athlete shows up here getting the royal treatment, and we all move further down the card. He goes, oh. I, one day Dusty will be here telling me how great my dropkick looks. The next day Fit Finley will walk in here, tell me how terrible my drop kick is and I should never do it. He goes, there's no co- co- cohesive training here. Everybody is completely out to stab each other in the back. It is so cutthroat here. It's the most toxic thing you could ever be a part of. Um, oh. And I'm keeping this in mind. He's there with 40 other guys getting paid under contract. Meantime, I'm at TV with the WWF roster, WWE roster, and there's 10 guys who are on TV who aren't going to make TV this week, but they flew them in, put them in hotels, got them rental cars anyways, just to be backstage in case. On top of that, there's a dozen guys like me sitting in a closet over here who aren't going to be on TV tonight but they're giving us $200 paydays to just be backstage in case they need a a popcorn guy to beat up or a security guard to throw around somewhere. And it starts kind of occurring to me, if Jamie Noble, who is probably 10 times the wrestler I am, former cruiserweight champion, if the best they got for him is watching the indie guys work out, what are the odds at this point that this is going to be my future career, that I am ever going to be assigned talent? You know, I can start kind of doing the math. My buddy who is signed is over there. He ain't, he's not moving anywhere. And yeah. the guys that are here who have been on TV before, they're not moving anywhere. Undertaker's on the show. Guess what? He's had his spot on TV for 30 plus years. Shawn Michaels, Triple H, you know, these guys, they're there. They've had their spots for 20 plus years. The spots don't open up. And if you start doing the math on it, okay, there's two TV shows. Let's say between the two TV shows, you might have 15 matches. So maybe there's a spot for 20 wrestlers each week, assuming there's no crossover there. On top of that, you got referees, announcers, uh, you know, managers, things like that. Guys are just doing, you know, whatever spots. So you might have 40 TV spots total every week. Maybe if you're lucky, 40 TV spots. And those spots don't open up. I mean, once somebody has that spot, they don't open up. You got to wait for a guy to get hurt or retire. That's it. (laughs) You know, or get cut, I guess. Yeah. So I kind of just said to myself, you know what? I'm happy with what I've done. I've wrestled for some big shows. I've wrestled in front of thousands of people. Maybe it's time to start focusing on me as a person, getting my life together, pursuing some other goals and dreams. So pretty much immediately thereafter, I start pursuing starting my own company. My friend Max gets cut by the WWF. 
He comes back. So I keep wrestling with him. We'd start doing a tag team thing just for our own fun. But he and I are working together. We start this company together. Um, and before you know, it, within a few years, I'm, I'm making a great living off this company. I started. And it really becomes this is where I need to be spending my Saturday nights, not at an yeah. indie show in front of 25 people. Yeah. And so that's ultimately what led to my retirement in 2000. Well, my last match was 2014. By 2013, I was pretty much done. So there, right there, All you right. can see when I was a backyard wrestler to yes. uh, a current day. <laughs> Similar pose. Yeah. It's kind of funny to see something like that. Yeah. Uh, you got to remember, that's probably 1997. Um, so it's not like today where everybody's got a million pictures. You know, you had to go buy a camera and wind it up and then take it to the grocery store and get it developed back then. So uh, yes. I had no idea if it was going to be a good picture or not. <laughs> it turned out pretty good. How about, okay, so this is your mentor. Yeah, so that's um, Brent Albright, uh, who I was talking about. He was So Brent, uh, backstory on Brent is he was an Oklahoma kid just like me. Um, and, man, he was, he was at a different level. What I mean by that is this guy, he was 100% driven by passion he was going to make it in the wrestling business. Uh, I mean, everybody says that. Everybody says they love wrestling and they want to be a wrestler. But it didn't matter what the drill was. This guy would outwork everybody in the room. Um, and I, what I mean is, you know, I'm a young – I was at this time a young kid who wants it as bad as possibly can be. We would do these drills. And eventually I would reach a point where, like, I got to stop, man. I'm, I'm about to pass out. Brent would keep going. He would just grab another person and keep doing the same drill for another 15 minutes. Then that person drops dead. He grabs another person. I mean, that's what I say. He's just wow. cut from a different cloth. You know, yeah. Passion. Uh, so we knew he was going to make it. His only problem was he just didn't have the, um, the, the, the chops, the, the microphone chops, the, the, the charisma yeah. necessarily. He was more of a Benoit type character, which is yeah. funny because once he finally got signed, the WWE, they, they say, hey, we got to bring you up to the roster. He's an OVW Triple Crown champion, having these great matches. They say, we're bringing you up to the roster. What do you want to do? Well, at the time, he said, look, I consider myself a Benoit-like character. Can you just put me with Benoit? So yeah. they debut him on SmackDown. He defeats Booker T in his debut match. Oh, uh, wow. They start having him tag with Benoit. They're going to, you know, they're, they're trying to make him into this big star. Uh, but at that time, you know, things go awry. Benoit's got to get off TV for a while. Uh, they kind of start burying Brent. Uh, and then eventually doesn't work out. He gets uh, cut from there, goes to Ring of Honor, becomes a big star in Ring of Honor. Um, and then eventually the NWA comes calling. And they make him NWA World Heavyweight Champion. Uh, you know, problem is at this point in time he gets injured. And when he gets injured, just like it's kind of the old wrestler story, uh, you start taking those pills to get over it, to keep to keep stuff going, and it leads you down the wrong path. And for his health, his safety, and, and keeping it together, he had to walk away from the business. Many of those guys, you could easily mark them down as, had he been the right spot at the right time, he would have been Brian Daniels, or, you know, he would have been that guy. Um, yeah. It just didn't work out. Yeah. That's unfortunate. Uh, all right, so some more pictures of you doing some training. Yeah, so the first one you see there, that's me in 2002 uh, working at a training school. The one for, at that time was called Oklahoma Championship Wrestling. Uh, I didn't fancy myself a trainer. I was just kind of uh, a battlefield promotion um, at that time. Once Brent got signed and left, 
they needed somebody else to run the training school. And I'd been, you know, even though I'd only been in the business two years, I had been training every night for two straight yeah. years, um, wow. literally five, six nights a week. And so yeah. maybe I would estimate that I got more training in two years than most guys get in their entire career. I mean, just, yeah. I mean, we're talking about in-ring hours, doing drills, learning yeah. the stuff from the guys. Um, so I knew I could run a training class as good as anybody. Uh, yeah. didn't necessarily mean I was going to make you into a star, but I could, I could run you through a training class. Yeah. Uh, now you flash forward that picture on the right is me running the hunger dojo. Um, 20 years later now, I, that is my passion. Uh, that is what keeps yeah. me in the business. I run a training school every Tuesday and Thursday night. Um, I learned a lot of great things from a lot of great wrestlers and I consider it part of my responsibility to everything I've learned. I need to share it before I can leave the business. Um, yeah. It is my responsibility. If somebody gave me knowledge, there's that knowledge will be lost if I don't share it with it with somebody else. Mm -hmm. And I impart that into my students. Hey, what I'm sharing with you, I want you to share with someday. I want you to teach these lessons to people. Uh, that's the only way we can keep this business going the right way. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> so yeah, my my WWE. The, the happy ending of my WWE stories, I did get on TV. I ended up being an Undertaker Druid, which, by the way, <laughs> they essentially put a giant black condom on your face because uh, they want no part of your face showing. Uh, yeah. And then they double it up just to make sure you cannot see anything. Like, I mean, it is yeah. literally like you're seeing shadows. And then they wow. want you to walk down this ramp. that's <laughs> more narrow than you might think. And you can't see your feet because there's smoke everywhere. You know, they're doing the, yeah. the dry ice thing. Uh, yeah. It was really scary. I'll be honest with you, pulling that casket out. Because at any point in time, you take half a step to the right or half a step to the left, you're falling off the ramp. And then you forever yeah. become mania, the druid that fell off the ramp. <laughs> and you're in the front. Yeah. The front well, guy. yeah. I chose to be the front guy because I was like, hey, at least that way I can at least see myself on TV tonight. Uh, there you go. Yeah. Wow. Uh, you know, but you know what the most surreal part about that was I came backstage and I'm standing there and I'm taking this big black condom off my head and I hear a guy chuckle and I turn to my left and it's Vince McMahon. <laughs> and uh, he looks at me and goes, yeah, thanks for helping us out tonight. I was like, hey, <laughs> thank you for everything. You know, and you want to just say so much to him. You know, he's in yeah. the middle of running a TV show, so you're not going right. to. Like, thank you for my childhood, for this dream, for, you know, for all the cool stuff, you know, for letting me be here, you know, but you just go, yeah. hey, no problem, man. Uh, yeah. Backstage, there was only one real nice guy backstage. Only one mm -hmm. guy went out of his way to come up and say hi and thank us and shake our hands. Mm -hmm. The Undertaker. Everybody I've else heard he's, Yeah, I've heard he's such a nice guy. Uh, yeah. He, he walks up to us during uh, catering. And says, what finds our table and says, thank you guys for helping us out. My name's Mark. Thank you guys. My name's Mark. Giving us the old wrestler handshake. Uh, you know, like, like we didn't know who this was, you know, but he's yeah, still, right. you know, time to, I mean, he's old school. And that's, you know, old school mentality. Yeah. This thing I still teach my guys. Every time you walk into a locker room, shake everybody's hand, introduce yourself. Yeah. If you don't know them, say hi. I was like, you never know because the guy you meet and become friends with tonight could be your best friend in five years. Could be the guy that sets you up with that tryout match in a year. 
because yeah. you were a good guy and walked up and took the time to be nice and be civil and, yeah. and behave as opposed yeah. to being standoffish or just kind of eh, whatever. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, you mentioned something earlier with uh, Batista. Yeah. Uh, there's your maximum entertainment thing. I'll... Yeah, that's the company I started right there. Yep. All right, cool. All right, I want to talk because you said Batista, and I had the same experience uh, that I'd like to share real quick. Sure. And then we'll get back to you. In 2000, I want to say six, uh, they are in Syracuse, New York. I was in the Army then. I was stationed at Fort Drum. I brought my son to Syracuse. Before the show, they had a promotion deal at some car dealership there. And Batista was going to be the guy. I'm like, okay, great. So my son, he loves Batista. I had a Batista shirt on. And, and he said, Dad, you know, I want to. So we went and got him a poster at Walmart for like $5. Uh, stood in line there at this car lot for over an hour. And he comes out, you know, he does his little photos with the dealership people and their families and stuff. Comes out and says, no pictures. I'm not talking to anybody. I just come by. I'll sign whatever. And you got to go. And I was just like, what a jerk. So <laughs> we went through the line. And I, I kind of, this was back there in the flip phone era still, but it had a camera on there. And I told my son, I said, Brady, when you get up there, and he starts signing. You just look over at me real quick. I'm going to snap a picture. Just who cares? What are they going to do? Throw us out? So I snapped a picture. And I've just had – that's the only ex bad experience I've ever had with a, with a wrestler. That that so unprofessional. You're there to for your fans, and that's how you treat them. That's just – it was oh, – that's when you brought that right. up. Like a memory You're me. at a publicity event where his job is to is – to help yeah. the company and big sales in that area it wasn't yeah. like you hit him up at the airport bathroom you know right like while he's trying to wash his hand yeah right Which I, was I, just, that was, I was just so irritated i i just i so mad i almost didn't want to go to the match but i was like you know what there's other people there we'll go we had a good time overall but every when he came out of the ring we're all like oh, you suck yeah <laughs> me too <laughs> right so <laughs> Let's get back to you, Justin. Uh, we did skip a gap there. So let's talk about 2001 to 13. You probably had quite a few matches, different areas of uh, promotions and things. So where was your primary uh, place that you worked or got the most experience in? in sure. Was like so that. mostly Oklahoma. Uh, I mean, I'm, okay. I'm based out of Oklahoma, and there was – Throughout those years, there was lots of wrestling in Oklahoma to be a part of. I mean, I would I would venture out to Arkansas and Texas and Kansas um, occasionally, uh, but mostly I stayed in Oklahoma. Um, the first company I worked for was OPW, then OCW, then uh, there was Kansas Championship Wrestling. Uh, OCW turned into Tornado Lucha Libre, so we were, I actually wrestled as a luchador for a while with a mask on. At All these right. uh, Mexican mall shows, yeah, yeah, I was I was a uh, a technico named El Furioso. <laughs> uh, awesome. Yeah, but we had an actual legitimate lucha teacher, and he taught us, you know, how to convert our styles over and how to do the lucha libre rules. And so the idea was that in this area there was a growing Hispanic population, and the uh, like I said, wrestling is very cyclical, and so at that time crowds were down all over the place. 
but you had this new population of, of Hispanic people coming in. And if you would offer something for them, they would show up in droves. Uh, we wrestled one single de Mayo show. I remember in front of, uh, it was the, up, up to that time, the largest crowd I'd ever in front of it was like 2000 people. Uh, oh, wow. uh, yeah, just packed in a parking lot. Yeah. I mean, just a huge man. And again, they were there for a festival, but at the same time, they all hey. came and watched the wrestling and they watched the whole thing. Uh, it, it was, a, it was fun uh, around that time. Uh, NWA starts a branch, uh, sort of in Oklahoma, NWA, Oklahoma, which would become NWA universal. Eventually I get hooked up with them. And that's where I kind of first time I really started working with names, uh, Christopher Daniels and, uh, a lot of the guys who were on TNA at the time, they would bring them in. I uh, did the Candido Cup after Candido died, so they would bring in a yeah. lot of names for the Candido Cup. I uh, never got to meet Tammy, unfortunately. Uh, that was my childhood crush when I was um, 12, yeah. 13, 14. Uh, to this day, if Sonny wanted to come, you know, I, I would still mark out for Sonny. Uh, I don't care how cracked out and probably in handcuffs with an ankle monitor <laughs> she is. She's still yeah. Sonny to me, you know. There would yeah. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> I never got to meet her. She was supposed to be on both those events and, and no showed both of them. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it was it was a fun time, man. You know, like I said, it was the, sort of the beginning of Internet wrestling era. So yeah. you still had to promote wrestling events in a different way. back then. You, know, you still had to hang in the posters and, you know, you couldn't just post something online and people would go to it. Uh, you know, remember, Facebook wasn't even really a thing until 2010. Right. Uh, so, you know, if you're trying to promote wrestling events back in the mid 2000s, it was still old school style promoting. You had to go out and shoe leather and maybe if you're lucky, you got a radio station or a morning show to help you promote. Uh, but mm -hmm. yeah, it was not the way back then. Yeah. No, you didn't have the internet. No, Although, I, to, be, to be honest with you, good. Uh, I have a website, justinrules.com. Yes. I started that website in 2001, and that website oh, wow. is still up. Yes. Okay. I have one of the oldest websites on the internet. One of the first pro wrestling websites that's still up, justinrules.com. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I, I, and I, 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 I chose that because justinlee.com was already taken. Uh, <laughs> of course. <laughs> but that's a cool yeah, – yeah, uh, no, I ahead. have checked out your website, and it is actually really good. It's really uh, – crisp uh, you know uh inviting it doesn't have a bunch of ads popping up all over the place and uh it, it, it tells your story you know your bio your matches your upcoming events it, it, it is a very good website i was quite impressed with it to be honest with you i, I have a complete record of every match i've ever been in on that yeah. website yeah uh i yeah. know my I, I know my singles win loss record is the crazy part you know like um yeah, uh, yeah, I lose a lot. I, I luckily I got promoted as a white meat babyface most of my career, um, and you know back through most of the promoters who had that old school mentality if you got to send the crowd home happy. So I would mm -hmm. often win yeah. my matches. Um, you know, most of what like I said, what we were doing back in the day was a lot of spot shows. Uh, yeah. So you didn't have to necessarily build the story up. It would be a one night and done story. So. Yeah. What would usually happen is early in the night, maybe I'd be the opening match. I get attacked uh, during the match by a much bigger heel. Uh, and then so that's the main event for tonight. You know, come see Justin, get his revenge tonight in the main event. You know, stick around. 
And so we would do a lot of stories like that. Uh, yeah. So I had very blessed. I won my first match, which was for the Oklahoma light heavyweight title. And okay. very few wrestlers say they won a title in their first match. And I'm not saying it's because I was great or I was this amazing talent. It was literally a, a necessity thing. The, um, every light heavyweight in that promotion had basically turned in their notice saying, Oh, oh I, wow. I got a new job up in Kansas. I'm moving. So they basically had three guys left. And of the three guys, I was the most charismatic. And they said, okay, we can, he had the, this back when I had the long blonde hair and a ponytail and I'd have the earring. And at the time I was playing the cocky backyard wrestling heel. Uh, but they looked at me and they said, Hey, this kid's got a look. He's got a charisma. We can do something yeah. with this. So they put me with this guy, Dexter Hardaway, who's an amazing talent. And he carried me through this match. I held my own as far as, you know, I did my best. I wasn't like I was a complete idiot, but I was green. Uh, yeah. So he carries me through this match. We ended up having a really good debut match. Uh, it worked out great for me. Uh, at the time, the local newspaper comes out, and they have a section they were doing on. You know, every town would have its own little section of the newspaper. So there was a Broken Arrow section, and they they heard me announced as the Broken Arrow bad boy. So they wanted to do a section on me. So I've been in the, the sport for one match. I've already had a newspaper article come out about me. Um, I'm standing backstage and our second, second ever show I'm on, I look to my left, Kurt Hennig is standing next to me. So oh, here wow. I am standing with Kurt Hennig. Uh, this is back when WWE had kind of bought out WCW and Kurt Hennig was one of the holdouts. And this promoter named John Collins was going to start the next thing. I think it was called MCW Championship Rest, something like that. MECW, something like that. Uh, crazy story. We don't have time to get into it here, but read the story of John Collins. It's a wild story. Uh, All right. He was a crook and a half, I guess. Uh, but at the time, he was doing this promotion where he, he was checking out all these territories around this, the country, bringing Kurt Hennig, who was going to be his big star. He was going to get TV going, and he was you know, looking for talent. Uh, so he's standing there backstage. So here I am, you know, I, winning a title in my first match. I'm standing next to Kurt Hennig backstage, having the, the local news doing stories on me. I've only been in the sport a month. You think if you have that kind of trajectory, <laughs> where am I going to be in a year? I'll be main eventing WrestleMania by next year, right? <laughs> no, it didn't work out. But it felt that way at the time, right? Yeah, yeah. Wow. You're chasing this dream, and it's coming true so fast. You just thought, hey, the only, where, only place to go is up, right? Yeah. Wow. That's that's pretty cool, though. I mean, you won your first match in the title. That's uh, That's pretty amazing. It, so it's yeah i wouldn't recommend it uh you know <laughs> it's good to stay humble pay your dues yeah. uh i got very lucky i had a promoter who liked me who took care of me but at the same yeah. time you know he 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 if i had matches with him he beat me up worse than anybody else so not that i didn't pay any dues in fact we went through some very right. dark times in wrestling yeah. uh i remember wrestling in front of six people you know and i was the only one setting up and tearing down rings by myself yeah. Yeah. uh which is not easy to do um, and there were, there was times I would pull kids out of the crowd and say, Hey man, if you'll help me get this ring set up, I'll teach you how to wrestle. You know, I, I will, I'll show you moves. And I would I'd run this outlaw training school because yeah. nobody else would show up to help me get the ring set up. Everybody would show up for match time. Uh, you know, so yeah. there were dark days I went through, I paid my dues. Uh, but it was nice when I got to start doing things like NWA wrestling, Kane's ballroom, wrestling in Texas and in Arlington and PCW. Um, there, there was, you know, I remember, so I got a tryout with PCW. It's an, it was a big promotion in Arlington. 
It's where Kendrick and London, a lot of those guys were kind of getting there early. Paul London, for sure. I don't know if Kendrick, but Paul London was there. He was one of their big early stars. And I remember they, I had just done something called the Southern Super 8s Tournament, uh, Southern State Super 8 Tournament. And I won the thing. I was the tournament winner. It was back when um, the Super 8 tournaments were all the rage in indie wrestling. You'd make one, people would take trade these things all day. That's how guys like Punk and Daniels were kind of getting discovered on the indie scene was with these Super 8 tournaments. So I won the Super 8 tournament. They hear about me. They want to give me a tryout. This is one of the most valuable lessons I ever learned, though. I go down there. Kenny and I, we're going to wrestle each other. We have this match planned out. Um, and our match is every bit of seven to eight minutes. Well, the guy says, I, I want five. Well, we did our match. We just tried to put it on super speed, but we still end up going about six and a half. We get backstage, and we think we just had a banger match. And the promoter yeah. goes, hey, man, I asked you to go five, and you went six and a half. I can't use you. Thanks. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Lesson learned, though. If the promoter says five, go four and a half. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. But it, it's, you know, wow. we thought we were doing such good. Oh, this is such a good match. They'll appreciate that we went over. And that wasn't the case, man. Like, especially when those guys are making TV shows, they said, hey, man, you know, I need somebody who can hit their times. That was part of what the trial was, you know. Can we use you on a TV scenario? But I learned right then and there to learn what the butter wants, understand what the butter wants. That was a big lesson I learned that day. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, back probably about six, seven years ago, uh, Indies really started making a comeback. To me, anyways. I, I went Yeah, to right when shows. I got retired. Yeah, when you retired, is that what brought you back in in 2020? It's like, okay, you know what? I miss it. I got the bug. What, what, what was it for you? It was really more of a COVID thing, honestly. Um, okay. 2020, 20, you know, hits and um, everybody's stuck at home. So one of the things I did when I was stuck at home is I pulled out some of my old wrestling library and started watching it going, I could still do this. I think, you know, I'm still in pretty good shape. And, you know, you, you, pro wrestlers, we never really have that last match. You know, we always kind of never feel like it's the last match. We always say, well, uh, you know, I'm going to come back at some point. I'm going to do something at some point. Well, at this point, you know, once you start hitting six, seven years, am I ever coming back? I don't know. Right. Uh, I, I took time off to start my company yeah. and got comfortable. Uh, but now I was telling old war stories. Right. I would tell everybody how I used to be a wrestler. And I didn't really have all that great of footage from my early days in wrestling because we have a, the video equipment and iPhones and stuff that people had. So it was just a handful of pictures and a few videos that I had. And, and I said, you know, I'd like to come back one time just to, you know, have some nice new quality footage of me as a wrestler. So I reached out to a guy I knew who was still promoting that, I, that I'd kind of helped train back in the day. I gave him some of his early matches. And he's rallying this company called Wrestling for a Cause, which is the whole company is based on helping kids – with cancer, their families raising money for them. Yes. And, you know, if you're going to come back and do something goofy, that's pretending to, to play fight, do it for a good cause at least. Right. You know, uh, right. go put on your tights and do it. So I asked him, I said, Hey, yeah, you know, would you ever want to use me? He goes, well, Hey, how about you come out one night and be a, uh, you can be our guest host for the night. I said, Hey, you know, that'd be fun. And it gave me kind of some incentive to start kind of working out and getting in shape. So we, we, we'd set this thing up for about three months down the road so I start, you know, losing that COVID weight, hitting the gym, start kind of getting in shape again and getting my body back. And then before you know it, my body's in really good shape. 
uh, get in better shape than even it was before. Cause I have nothing to do all day, but work out. Um, cause it's COVID. Right. So I come do this one shot and it's just supposed to be me like making a match for the, the, the baby face to take on this guy. But then this, this guy I used to wrestle with that he's the big heel and, uh, didn't, didn't, wasn't hard, but he talks me into, Hey, how about you hit me with that super kick you used to hit? Well, okay, I guess I could do that. So, boom, I throw out the super kick, crowd pops big, and he settled on the mat, goes, hey, man, they pop big for that. Pick me up, give me another one. <laughs> okay, so wait for him to get back up. Boom, give another super kick. Crowd pops even bigger. So we get backstage, he goes, well, we got to pay this off. I go, what do you mean? He goes, you got to come back for a match. It's like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll do it. So now I got two months to train for a match, you know, and I, I haven't wrestled in seven years yeah. and I don't know how to, I mean, I know how to wrestle, but you feel like you don't know how to wrestle anymore once you haven't done it that long. Mm -hmm. So I, I find a training school where some guys are training at. I say, Hey, can I jump in with you guys? Treat me just like I'm a brand new student. So I'm going through all the bumps and learning a wrist lock all over again, but start coming back real fast to me. Uh, my brain just unlocks that, that thing and boom, it just all starts flooding back. Uh, within a few weeks, like, I, I mean, I'm, 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 I've got it. I've got my timing back. I've got my bump ability back. My body's starting to feel good because it hasn't had, had done this in seven years. Like everything healed up. Uh, my back yeah. healed up. My knees healed up. My elbows healed up. <laughs> yeah. So wow. I, I go out and have this match. And it's a great match. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a little sluggish, but I, yeah. it tells a beautiful story. You know, the crowd has kind of got this, one more time aspect to it, you know, can the kid come back and, you know, after all this time off and do it and the beautiful story. And I come just short of winning the match. I had him won and then his bad guys interfered and then he pulls, finds a way to win. And he said, Hey man, you know, you want to, so just come back. I said, okay. <laughs> so that was a uh, late 2020 and here we are 2023 and I'm now, after that match, I've, I've gone 20 and 0 in WFC. Uh, I'm wow. the new heel, so I, I turned heel. Uh, yes. And I'm, I'm I'm doing this heel gimmick, and I'm teaching my training class, and it's just great, man. Like right now, I'm actually feuding with the local weatherman on channel on our our channel eight, our ABC <laughs> local affiliate. He keeps bringing me on the morning show, and I talk all this trash to him, and he showed up at the last show, and he was the host of the show, and uh, I found a way to cheat the match, and I'm in his face yelling, and I turn around, and one of the baby faces punches me, so he punches me, and I get slammed. So we're setting it up so that we're going to have a big payoff coming up down the road, so they're going to keep mentioning me on the morning That's show. Awesome. So it's kind of fun. You know, I get to be sort of a yeah. local big fish, small pond yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, that wrestling for a cause promotion is, uh, you know, Tim Rockwell, such a uh, – such a great promotion, so, does it for such a great cause. And I love Tim Rockwell because, you know, I had him on here a while back, and he's that's uh, incredible. You know, he tells me the story and that, you know, he's got to be a nice guy in Oklahoma, and then he's the villain, natural-born villain in uh, Arkansas, Missouri, and it, it's it's great. I just love it. And I, and I love that promotion. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just well, saying – Tim, um, when I was uh, in coming up in the sport, when I'm brand new, 2002, 2003, I'm still green as can be. Tim's uncle, Uncle Raymond, 
owned um, World Wrestling Empire, which was the big Tulsa-based promotion from the late 80s throughout the to the mid-90s. And Flamin' Raymond, he ran World Wrestling Empire, WWE, before there was a yeah. WWE. Yeah. Uh, but so when he would stick around the business a little bit, so he was running a production company. So, so when I was working at OCW in 2002, they would hire Raymond company to come out and film the wrestling because everybody knew wrestling. And he had this little tiny annoying kid that would walk around and hold the cord named Tim, uh, <laughs> who would within a few years become this wrestler. Uh, yeah. And Tim and I, I, I like to take a little bit of credit for helping shape Tim. I didn't train Tim, but when Tim was a green rookie, uh, just like I was, he had some annoying qualities to him, a little cocky, a little arrogant. He was part of the 918 boys, and they were a couple of rappers, and he was recording. And Tim actually can rap, uh, by the way. But <laughs> just the sound of it is so obnoxious. Oh, I'm a, I'm a rapper, right? You know, you just you hear that, you instantly want to punch the guy in the face, right? Uh, and so he comes out, ends up in – TPW, um, Tornado Pro Wrestling, where I'm wrestling at. And he still only had a handful of matches at this point. Rocco says, hey, would you come out and work this kid, Tim? Uh, yeah, I'd love to, man. So Tim had a good attitude. He's a great guy backstage. So I started working with him. And, and you know he's been around the business since he's a little kid. Uh, mm. He has a good sense of things. He's still green, but he's got a good sense of things. So we have a good little match. Uh, it's like a three-way dance, and, and he does his job, and he sells. And he's got great facials, and he's playing a good heel character. And Rocco pulls me backstage goes, hey, what you think of him? I said, he's pretty good. He goes, why don't you make a program out of it? Um, how about next week you put the kid over, you know, and, and build a program around it? You know, he, he'll cheat to win, and now you got a reason to come back. And so we do that. We go out, and I, I put him over, uh, and it, it makes him into a, a thing there. Uh, we, we end up having this beautiful feud. Uh, it culminates in the first ever broken arrow street fight. Uh, and, and ever since then, Tim's my guy. Um, you talk about your favorite guy to work with. It's Tim. And I, since he was a kid, I've been working with him. And here yeah. we were 20 years later, I'm having this comeback match. He, he carries me through this match. Cause he knows I'm, I'm, I'm a step. I'm still missing a step. And he, he covers all my shortcomings up. Helps me look like a star, sells when I need him to sell so I can catch my breath. Uh, I mean, just I love working Tim, and I'll always yeah. work for Tim. Uh, I have Tim's back. I, you know, every promotion I work for, if Tim's not in good standing with there, you got a problem with Tim, you got a problem with me. I tell him that. Yeah. All right. I got one more question. Well, a couple more questions. One is sure. the, the Unbreakable Bad Boy. How did that come about? So when I first came back, I was doing the baby face gimmick, you know, very white meat baby face. I play a great white meat baby face. Um, I know how to smile and, you know, slap the hands and I can take a beating like no other. So I get beat up and beat up, beat up till they're ready to see me make that comeback. And I'm very comfortable in that role. Um, but, you know, every promoter kind of looks around his roster one day. They go, okay, we've been doing the same thing for about a dozen shows now. I need to switch it up. I need some heels to be faces and faces to be heels so we can redo these matches now. Uh, and Tim remembered me from my heel days when I early in the business and he always liked me as a heel. And he said, Hey, can you bring back that Justin Lee and be that obnoxious cocky heel? And I hadn't done it in a long time. 
yeah. I've gotten very comfortable in that baby face role. So at first I, I was a little nervous about doing it at first, honestly. Uh, I just, I, I hadn't been that guy and, and, and I liked being a good guy. I liked yeah. being able, you know, it's hard for me not to go hug my fans and shake their hands and, you know, sign everything for the kids. I, I, I want to be that guy. So Tim talks me into it. Um, so we, we, my idea was not to be just the flamboyant heel, the pretty boy heel. My idea was more about, I'm this old school guy and I hate what I'm seeing. I hate the AEW. I hate the spot monkeys. I hate the guys that aren't telling stories. They're just chasing, having this banger match. They're supposed to be bad guys, but they're out there selling merchandise like they're a good guy. They're trying to be the cool tweeners. I fed on that kind of idea. I said, well, what if I became a heel because I needed to be the gatekeeper that wrestling apparently didn't have anymore. That all these guys who were top stars now, they failed because I taught them how to do it old school. We had this old school tradition and you guys just let anybody into the business. Now you weren't doing a job of protecting the business. And now I've got to come back. I've got to tear this thing down to start back over again. Nobody's allowed in my locker room unless I give you the clearance. You got to earn your spot with me, kid. And so that was my idea, you know, being this, yeah. this almost uh, like sensei, you know, of, of my karate is the only true karate, right? Like, right. like my wrestling is the only true wrestling. Now it's not that I didn't, some of these opinions I actually did have, but I'm right. not a mean guy. You know, I understand there's something for everybody on every show. And just cause some people do differently than me doesn't mean it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have my preferences. You have your preferences. Uh, but yeah. the character was over the top. Just, have to save wrestling i don't care if it makes me mean and bad guy in, in the short term i'm doing what i'm doing for the greater good i'm going to save professional wrestling here in this state um <laughs> and so that's where the unbreakable came i, I didn't want to be the broken arrow bad boy anymore yeah. and i was like well what's the opposite of broken it's unbreakable right this unbreakable yeah. character yeah so i started working the idea of being unbreakable and sure enough while I'm setting this idea up and, and building the seeds for the future heel turn, I get my nose broken in a match. Oh, <laughs> 20 years, never broke anything in wrestling. 20 years later, I get my nose broken live during a match, uh, which is ironic because I'm wearing a shirt that says unbreakable. At the t- you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm in Arkansas wrestling for crown championship wrestling. We're having a, uh, a tournament's crown. This na- it's actually a national title. It's uh, a, a, American Pro Wrestling. They're, it's their title, our traditional American Pro Wrestling, I should say. Uh, but they, it's defended in many states. Um, but they wanted to make me the first light heavyweight champion. So that's this tournament. And I'm only supposed to wrestle one match this night. But there were some no-shows. And so what they do is they change the brackets up and say, we're going to have the, the opening round and semi-round tonight. So my first round, round match is with this guy named Excal, uh, who I have all this history with. He actually used to be one of the backyard wrestlers with me when we were kids. <laughs> but we never had a one-on-one match. Yeah. And we got to have it finally 20 years later. And we have this great match. It was a great match. Probably my best match I wrestled that year. Second match, I come out wrestling this guy named Iceman. And we're kinda, we've never worked with each other, never really watched yeah. each other wrestle. And we're kind of putting it together on the fly. We're both vets, so we know what to do. I'm the baby. You're the heel. Let's just go out. I said, hey, just jump me before the match starts. Beat me down. I'll make a little comeback. Uh, and then we'll do this. We'll do this. And we'll go home. 
one of the spots I called for during my comeback was I'm going to go for a moonsault while you're standing. So I'm jumping kind of into you body press style. But what I want you to do is instead slide underneath me. And as I land, clop me with the clothesline and cut me off and go back to putting the heat on me. So I go for the moonsault and I could tell he's, he's kind of trying to decide how am I going to, am I going to go under him or am I going to go around him? And as I go to jump, he hasn't quite made up his mind. So he kind of sort of ducks uh. and sort of moves to the side. And as he does, he's got this bald head and my nose just lands crap on top of his skull, instantly broken. I knew it from the exact moment because I heard the crack go through my entire head. Never broke anything before till this moment. Yeah. And I, I cover my nose and this is kind of my old school training. If you're gushing blood, get out of the ring. So go home, no matter where you are in the match. So I lean over to the ref and say, we got to go home. I'm, this nose is broken. And what I don't want is one of these kids and families sitting ringside to have their kid traumatized by a bloody nose that I, I'm assuming at this point is facing the wrong direction. Um, yeah. So I say, we got to go home, go home, go home, come at me. I'm going to hit you with something real quick. So I hit him with a little neck breaker, pin him real quick, and I'm covering my nose and waving to the crowd. Uh, you know, a lot of fans are kind of confused, like, well, that came out of nowhere. Um, but it was literally starting to just gush out of my nose. And I didn't want to traumatize a five-year-old and make some yeah. parent go, I'm never ringing my kid back to that, you know. Yeah. So I get backstage wow. and instantly everybody's looking at me going, oh, my God, you know, you're – uh, <laughs> I end up – a bunch of toilet paper up my nose, driving myself to the emergency room. Uh, now, the crazy thing is I was wearing this face paint that night, and I, I had like a my, – my costume, my, my singlet was an homage to Robin, like from Batman and Robin. Yeah. And I've got this green face paint that looks like his eye mask. Yeah. And the movie, the Batman movie, had just come out that year, like a few weeks earlier. And so here I am walking into an Arkansas hospital emergency room. <laughs> dressed like Robin, face paint, blower can nose, blood everywhere. And I said, you know what they're going to think is that I saw this Batman movie, dressed up like Robin, decided to go fight crime tonight, got my butt kicked by some thugs, right? And that's what it looked like. And I, I went with that story. That's what I told the, the ER nurse. I was like, yeah, I was fighting crime, you know, it happened. Uh, but, yeah, so that's kind of the, the evolution of Unbreakable. Uh, and so Unbreakable is now kind of my heel persona. And, yeah. you know, if I ever go back to being a good guy again, I'll go back to being the broken arrow bad boy. Yeah. I got to tell you, um, you look uh, great. I watched some of your videos on YouTube. I've seen, you know, Thank your you. promo photos. You look fantastic. You're great on the mic. You just have that, that sarcastic, because you're the unbreakable bad boy. You have that sarcastic... Uh, voice, you just have that look too. Like I'm better than you. I know I am, and it's great. I heard it I described it. as I was told from the beginning. Uh, it's, it's an old Michael PSA's quote. Man, with a punch me face like that, you're gonna make a lot of money. Yeah, I've got a punch me face. You do. It's that's a good thing. I mean, you. I will say in the last five six years, especially in the indie wrestling, has really arched up in such a great way I'm wrestling for a cause mid states new breed all the all these promotions uh tulsa I, I, it's just incredible i'm so glad that that stigma of oh you're an indie wrestler you must 
you must not be able to be good enough to reach the WWE level. And I'll be honest with you, right now, in my opinion, I think indie wrestling is as good or even a little bit better than the AEW and WWE. One is because you're not out there for 20 minutes on the ring talking about things that don't matter. You talk for about two minutes, you go to the ring or whatever. Two is I'm not paying $150 for a ticket to go see some guys, or I can only pay, you know, 15 to 20, maybe $25, and I'm not paying out the yin-yang for food. So kudos to you guys. Uh, you know, we appreciate you, and you're underappreciated. I'm going to tell you that right now. One of the unique dynamics of um, indie wrestling that I explain to my students when I train them is that it's kind of like going and seeing live theater versus watching a movie. Um, we're not there to, to work the camera. We're there to work the crowd. And, um, and this is kind of one of my complaints with AEW and stuff like that is they're always what I call chasing the banger. You know, they always want to have this five-star match that gets this critical review. And in the process, it is so choreographed that the fans know they are not affecting what is happening in the ring. Yeah. That, you know, their cheers, their whatever, there's very little crowd interaction going on. Yeah. Versus old school professional wrestling, you know, if I can look at the old lady in the crowd and pick the baby face up by his hair and say, I'm going to punch him every time you talk. Boom. You shut your mouth. Or, <laughs> okay, that's on you. That's on you, right? And, and you make them part of the show and they know they're affecting the show. And yeah. when you do that, it becomes that immersive experience that TV yeah. can't provide. Only a live wrestling show can provide that. And one of the things I fear is that we might lose that as that, you know, chasing the banger becomes the way and you start losing this. No, no, no. I'm here to work this guy. You know, if I want to make this person feel like they're part of the show, like they are impacting the show. Yeah. Uh, one of the like my last match, it ends with me getting, you know, body slammed and punched by the, the, the newscaster, the meteorologist and, and, and the, other yeah. baby face and so my guys are carrying me out of the ring and i'm all woozy well i made a point to as i'm almost pretending to be concussioned or whatever here i reached over to some old lady like she was my wife and i said honey go start the car and i'm like <laughs> trying to take the keys and you could tell she was just like so caught off guard by it but she's gonna go home and tell everybody that story right she's never gonna forget that and so i've made that a lasting impression in her mind of, yeah. of, you know, she was part of the event. She wasn't just watching an event. It was immersive. Um, yeah. And that's why I think one of the reasons indie wrestling can always succeed, even if we don't have the bodies and the things that, that the, the production, even that the WWE has, um, as long as you're making it interactive, as long as you're making it about yeah. the crowd, as long as we're telling stories. And, you know, yeah. you have to make them easy to understand stories. Some of these guys try to tell Things that are too complicated, right? Well, I'm I'm a good guy, but I wrestle like a bad guy because you see this thing happened and then this happened. I was like, look, 90% of the people who are at this show, even if they were at the last show, they don't remember what happened at the last show. They're not going to remember this convoluted storyline that you think yeah. they know, that you know, but they don't know. And unless yeah. we show a five-minute video package before every match – that catches you up previously on wrestling for a cause, right? You have to assume that this is the first time they've ever seen you. This is the first yeah. time they're going to experience you. They don't know any of this backstory. So the second you come from that curtain, your face, your body, your posture, 
have to tell them that story, has to fill in those gaps. I have to look and sound like some guy they probably have met in their life and hated and had a bad experience with the way I talk, the way I walk, the way I carry myself so that they can instantly relate without knowing the backstory. Yeah, no, totally agree. But I'm telling you, guys like yourself, Rockwell, uh, Jason Jones, all these guys, uh, the the Johnnies, uh, I don't want to leave anybody out, but you guys are just, it's a comeback. And I'm so grateful for it because you're right. Ten years ago, you might have had 20 people in a in, at a house show. Where now, and I've been to some recent events, it's usually a packed house. Here, I live in Springfield, Missouri. Every time I go to one here, it's packed. It's it's full house. I buy a ticket early now online because I'm afraid I'm not going to get in. That's how that's how much it has progressed and, and evolved in the last five, six years. And and I'm so grateful for that. And it's guys like you that bust your tail every day. And, you know, I I just want to say thank you to you for that. And one more question. Sure. What are you up to next? What's some events that are coming up for you? Uh, We can put it out there so fans can come out and see you. Sure. So um, I I work fairly exclusively right now with Tim at Wrestling for a Cause. Um, and I know we've got May 6th uh, fan data coming up, and that's where the fans kind of help pick the matches. And in June, during Father's Day weekend, I believe we have a Saturday and Sunday, or uh, I think it's Saturday and Sunday, or it could be Friday and Saturday. Um, it's two nights, 17th and 18th, okay. I think, okay. uh, where we're going to do back-to-back the Ryder Herring Memorial Cup and then the uh, the battle Royal freedom rings battle Royal. Uh, and then before that though, in June, I actually do have another booking in Illinois. Uh, every year I go out there with, um, for the Superman celebration, uh, USA championship wrestling. Now it's run by case. It used to be run by Burt Prentice. And then he passed away. Casey gold took over USA championship wrestling. That's kind of the one Jerry Lawler works with in Tennessee. Uh, it's kind of his, his, not, it's not his company, but he kind of start the company. Well, Casey gold runs it now. Now they just call it Tennessee championship wrestling, but they still, uh, where the Superman celebration is, is kind of where Tennessee, Kentucky, Illinois, uh, and Missouri kind of all meet right there. It's yeah. this little town yeah. called Metropolis, Illinois. Uh, so I'll be out there ah. for at least two days, uh, okay. wrestling every night. And then, uh, yeah, we'll be come back. And then I know, in August, it's the big one for WFC, and I know who my opponent's going to be. I can't tell you, um, but it is scoop? somebody somebody who, uh, this way, you will know who he is. He has right. held titles in the WWE. Uh, he is right. a very well-known wrestler, um, and that's all I can say, okay. uh, but it, it will be a big one in August. It'll be first time I've wrestled a well, I can take that back. I wrestled uh, Mike Rapata last year, uh, Colorado kid, Mike Rapata. Um, I, he was a big name, put it this way, <laughs> at one point. In the early 2000s, he was a big name on the indie circuit. Him, Reckless Youth, some guys like that were big names in the indie circuit. Uh, I wrestled him last year, so he's probably the last big name I wrestled. But the, the next – well, I, I say that. To me, Alex Royal, guys like that, they are big names to me. I like those yeah. guys. Uh, I yeah. think they're, they're tremendous talents. 
Uh, but if you're talking about well-known outside of Oklahoma wrestling, uh, yeah, this person I'll be wrestling in August, if all goes well, of course, you know, card always subject to change. Uh, it'll be, it'll be a lot of fun. So that's, that's a big one leading up to the summer. And then I promise you, I'm going to make it to mid States. Um, uh, yeah, (laughs) he is always offering me gigs and they're always conflicting dates. And I, he, I keep telling man, offer me one day. You're going to offer me a date that I don't already have booked. That isn't like my wedding or honeymoon or, you know, somewhere it's like, Hey, I can't cancel this. Sorry. Uh, (laughs) like I said, I own a business outside of wrestling. Yeah. Uh, that occupies a lot of my time. Uh, yeah. So there are some weekends I just can't wrestle. Like right now is my busy season for my DJ business. We're doing all the proms and then, you know, that kind of leads into the spring weddings that, that we do. So right now I, to get a Saturday night off is very hard. Uh, yeah. But when I get into the summertime, I get a little more leeway, a little more free time. So I'm going to try to get as much wrestling in this summer as I can. You know, I'm, I'm 40, about to be 41. I don't know how much time I got left. Well, thank you. You're I appreciate that. I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I tell these guys I'm training. You, I was like, you guys are my legacy. You know, if, if, all the guys I'm training, um, they're all over Oklahoma wrestling. Now, you know, I, I trained Cappuccino yeah. Jones and, and Dan Weber and, and, you know, just all these guys that are, yeah. that you're seeing all over the place. Now um, my goal is to leave the wrestling industry better than I found it because I'm going to train these guys the right way, yeah. with good attitudes and, you know, they're going to know and respect the business and the history of the business. And if I can do that, I'll keep doing that as long as I can. I'll, I'll keep wrestling till my body can't anymore. You know, when it reaches the point where it becomes a physical detriment to me to keep wrestling, yeah. then I'll have to stop. Um, but yeah. at this point, I feel healthy. I feel good at 40. You know, there are days yeah. I wake up with a pretty sore back um, and I know yeah. exactly what it's from. Getting to <laughs> wrestle like a heel helps a little bit. I'm not that white meat baby face taking 15 minutes of, of bumps. You know, I, yeah. I can be the heel who you know does the bumping and then just has to take three quick ones at the end. Yeah. <laughs> um, and as long as I can do that, I can, it's going to add time to my career for sure. Yeah, that's great. No. Um, yeah. Well, one more time. Let's talk trainer, wrestler, DJ. That's great. The unbreakable bad boy. Justin Lee, thank you for coming on today, sir. We really appreciate it. No problem. Check me out on justinrules.com, the oldest wrestling website on the internet, I think, yeah. in indie wrestling anyways. Um, check me out yeah. on there. If, if you guys uh, got links to all my social, my Instagram, mm-hmm. my TikToks, and all, all the other things you kids like to look at. Um, and then you mentioned my YouTube channel, YouTube, yep. uh, Broken Arrow Bad Boy. Um, you can see matches dating all the way back to even – before I have a couple of my backyard wrestling highlights on there from the nineties. Oh, so okay. you talk about a, a very complete library of wrestling on yeah. there. Um, you can see me wrestling throughout many years and many different looks and many different variations of Justin Lee. Uh, yeah. So again, if, if you're interested in jumping down that rabbit hole, it can be kind of fun. Um, but I appreciate like I said, everybody that opportunities like this to come talk and share my story, uh, yeah. leave, leave a little piece of me out there in the zeitgeist yeah. of professional wrestling. Hey man, I appreciate this. Uh, we appreciate you and uh, all those links Justin just said uh, will be at, in the description at the bottom uh, when this drops. So one more time, the Unbreakable Bad Boy, Justin Lee, thank you for coming on, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you. And, folks, if you're watching, thank you. If you're listening, thank you. And if you haven't subscribed, please do so, and we will talk to you soon. Hey, this is Total Package, Lex Luger. You're listening to the VOC Nation. Don't miss out. 
the worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network. Check out In The Room every Tuesday night at 9. Listen in. Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks, former WCW star Stro Maestro, Kathy Fitz, Matt Grimm. And you know Ray there too, right Ray? We sure are, and we've got great guests like Lex Luger, AJ Styles, Taku, and more. It's a heck of a party. Plus, I didn't get thrown off uh, buildings. And then uh, pregnant. I didn't get pregnant either. Sometimes I think it gets so ridiculous. We were getting into, like, snuff film territory there. In the room. 9 p.m. Eastern on VOC Nation. Yo, this is Jerry Stein of the Nasty Boys. Yeah, Brian Knobs here. You get ready to get nasty? Well, listen to the VOC Nation, baby. VOC Nation is one of the longest-running wrestling podcast networks. Having started way back in 2010, VOC Nation provides daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with their hosts and guests via phone calls, emails, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include former backstage interviewer from both AWA and WWE, Ken Resnick, former WCW performer The Maestro, former Impact performer Wes Frisco, Pro Wrestling Illustrated contributor Brady Hick, and former Philadelphia radio personality Bruce Works. Archive-free content includes past interviews with huge names like Paul Hogan, Jesse Ventura, Kurt Angle, Jimmy Hart, Ricky Steamboat, Ding, Mick Foley, Joey Styles, Howard Finkel, and so many more. Listen live at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all the podcasts by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. And be sure to follow these guys on Twitter at VOCNation. Phil After has been in the pro wrestling business for over 50 years. Hey, talking here with uh, Arn Anderson. Arn, first of all, your height and weight. 6'1", 255. And now subscribers to VOC Nation Premium get exclusive access to Bill After's archived audio footage. And uh, where's your hometown? Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay, and uh, give us something about your back. First of all, your relationship to Ole Anderson. Ole is my... Subscription to VOC Nation Premium starts at just $3 a month and includes commercial-free audio and video versions of our top podcasts. Okay, we're speaking here with uh, the manager of the World Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, Tarzan Tyler and Luke Graham, and he's uh, he's sort of glowing tonight about a new prospect we haven't heard of yet. And for just $9 a month, Aptor's archives are all yours. Uh, would you tell us who this new prospect is? Well, I'll is? tell you, Bill, I've searched the world, and I finally <laughs> found a true world champion. I finally found... What's your opinion of uh, Ivan Koloff winning the title from Bruno San Martino? Well, I think, uh, I don't know what to say, but I, I want to say one thing. Bruno was an early champion. You know? Hear exclusive interviews with the greatest performers of all time. This is Bill After, and once again, we're speaking here with Bruno San Martino. Bruno, first of all, how did you and Bruiser lose that title to the Valiant? Well, actually, it was uh, uh, a very unusual loss, if you want to call it a the loss. Did didn't have anything to do with Well, yes, but the whole thing is that the rules, as I always understood them, was that you, the title could only be lost by pin or, or submission, which is the same rules as uh, my title, the World War Wrestling Federation. That night, uh, it was... To sign up, it's very simple. Head to premium.vocnation.com or go to patreon.com slash vocnation. VOC Nation takes you behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. 
talking old school match of the week, talking dream matches, taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out, vocnation.com, WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation Radio Network. This is Matt Hardy, and you are listening to the VOC Nation. 